So we have been in this series on the basics, sort of the disciplines of the faith. And most of those disciplines have been internal. They've been things like prayer and meditation and the study of the word. They've been things like worship and thanksgiving. But today we're going to turn this basic and and we're going to turn it out to the world. All the stuff that has been going on inside of us spiritually now is building up and it has to get out. And so it gets out through what I want to talk to you about today. And I will tell you that this thing is powerful. This thing that I'm talking about today is a change agent for the world, that it works in all situations, it works among all cultures, it works among different age groups, it works against different economics, it is central to the Christian faith, and it is the discipline of generosity. And so today, that's what I want to do. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, I hope you have your Bibles with you. You'll turn with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what I love about this 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is that it's almost like we're in this private conversation between Paul talking to this church at Corinth about an, an offering that all the churches are bringing together. You see, there are some, some poor Christians down at Jerusalem, and they're having a hard go of things. And Paul and the others who are ministering throughout the the Christian world are gathering up this offering that they might send it to these poor Christians in Jerusalem. And this is just rich. The, The study here of what generosity is and what it is not. And so what I'd love to do is really start off by telling you what generosity is not. And so if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter Eight, if you will follow over to verse 8. I'm going to skip around a bit. But here's what generosity is not. It is not an obligation. If you turn generosity into an obligation, you have messed it up. And that's why Paul tells the church when he's writing in verse 8, he says, I'm not speaking this as a command, not as a demand upon you. And I started thinking about this word command, demand, And I was thinking about some Christians who maybe misunderstood where God was taking us. And when they hear the word command, they think, oh, this is something that that I've got to do or or God is going to be disappointed and mad and he might get me. And so I'm I'm doing it and I'm doing it because I, I feel like God is requiring it of me. Now, I'll tell you that as parents... And by the way, becoming a father helped me so much to understand the the heart of God, his father heart for us. But most of us as parents, we would say that there are times where we need our kids to do things, and we don't really care if they like it or they don't like it. We just need them to get the room clean, or we just need them to take out the trash or, or whatever it may be. And I would say at the lowest possible spiritual level, I mean like at the very bottom, It's where Christians are doing things because they believe that God commanded it to be done. So they're just fulfilling the commandment. But you see, when Jesus comes, he gives us this picture of a loving father. He gives us this life that we can emulate, and we see the goodness of God. And at that point, what is supposed to happen is we enter into grace. And now grace says, I'm doing it. Because that's in my heart. I've seen the heart of the Father, and I want to imitate that heart. And so for me, 
man, my prayer as a father is this. I, I want my son, if he's driving down the road and he sees a person walking in the rain and the Holy Spirit kind of nudges his heart, hey, go pick him up. I, I want my son to do that because it's in his heart to do it, not because uh, if I don't pick this person up, God's going to be mad at me or dad's going to be mad at me. And, and yeah, you got to have that conversation in your head. But if I pick this person up, my seats are going to get wet. They might stink. I want him to have all that conversation running in his head and his heart and then decide to do it because he wants to. I want him to, to pull over and run into the intersection where there's a woman who's out of gas and help push her car into the gas station. And some of you are saying, well, now, isn't some of that stuff dangerous? And I would say the story of the Good Samaritan is a dangerous story about a man who helped and could have lost his life. And so what I'm telling you is this is not a command. This is something that has to be in your heart. You've got to want to do it. I, I would never want to force you to do any of the things I just described. Um, but I'll tell you this. I've been meditating on it for the past couple of days. And I think it's because of this virus that we're all dealing with. And I said, wouldn't it be a shame that you spend your entire life trying not to lose yours, only to eventually die and realize you never lived? That, to me, would be a great tragedy. It's a tragedy that I don't want for my own life. I don't want it for my son's life. And I don't want it for you that, that we would so try to protect our life that in the end you end up losing it anyway and you realize that you never had the joy of giving your life away. So one, generosity is not and cannot be an obligation. But then on the other side of things, generosity also has to be more than good intentions. So many times as we are growing in our relationship with the Lord, I remember a young believer calling me up one day and he said, Kevin, I, I see all these needs and, and I want to meet them all, but, but I don't have enough resources to meet all the needs. What should I do? And I was so excited because I realized that this young believer had come to a place where he saw that there were so many needs in the world. And his heart, not out of obligation, but out of real desire, wanted to meet them. But here's where we have to, to also grow, is that we have to finish what we start. Look at verse 11. Paul tells the people, but now finish doing it also. The offering they were going to collect. He says, but now finish doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. What's Paul saying? You got to see it through. Sometimes we start wanting to be generous and we see all the things that we could do and maybe we should do and we want to do and we make too many promises and we don't fulfill them. And I'll tell you what that ends up doing is giving you a bad reputation and giving Christians as a whole a bad reputation because people begin to say, man, they promise a lot. But they don't do much. And so what we want is that our generosity actually draws people to God and not causes them to, to say, they're just full of promises. Those Christians, they're just full of hype. And, and so we want to be a people of integrity, a people who can be relied on, that we not let people down. And if you're looking for the real gem in this thing, can I tell you where it is? The joy of generosity is in the finishing. It's in the seeing it through. 
It's not in the idea that you had. It's in the actual carrying through with it. And so those are the two extremes. You've got, I'm doing it out of obligation. I'm not living by grace. Over here, I am full of excitement, but I have no carry through, no finish. But here is the center of the mark. It is found in uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Look at what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What is it saying? It's saying that generosity is modeled through the Lord Jesus Christ. When he stepped off of his throne and he took on humanity and he lived this life of radical generosity, of feeding thousands of people who were hungry, of healing thousands of people who were sick, of encouraging thousands of people who were broken hearted and what did he do you know john three sixteen. he gave and what did we receive life that's how generosity works jesus modeled it in that he gave his life so that we could have salvation so that we could have freedom so that we could have life and then once we have our generosity centered in what jesus christ did and let me just say this and I'll move on. If you do not have a revelation of what Jesus was doing on the cross and through his life, if you don't have a revelation of his generosity, I don't think you'll ever have Christian generosity because that's where it starts. It starts in Jesus. But then watch what happened to these folks that Paul's talking about. He's talking about a, a church in Macedonia. And how they were so willing and ready to give. And in verse 5 it says this. Not as we had expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord. They, they gave so much it surprised Paul. But Paul reminds this church at Corinth. He said, but first this group of Christians, they gave themselves to the Lord. Hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times... As people are trying to figure out this thing of generosity, and we'll talk just about the money side of it for now, and then we want to talk lifestyle before we end, people will say things like, well, well how much am I supposed to give? Like, can, can you give me like a percentage of, of what, is, what is generous? And I'll tell you, and, and I'll go ahead and make a statement. I actually don't believe that tithing is a New Testament principle. Now, I know I'll have a lot of my pastor friends will disagree with me. But I actually don't think that it's a, a New Testament biblical principle. I believe that generosity is a New Testament biblical principle. And, and so if you look at Scripture uh, and, and you want to pull out the tithe, the reality is if you added up all the tithes, it came to like 22%, 23%, but nobody talks about that. And, and so I'm okay if people use that word, but I actually believe that God has called us to something better, something more joyful, and it's this thing called generosity. And, and so I do this little... Uh, I don't know, it's a visual, I guess, for you. And I'm going to ask these folks to, to put it up on the screen. What I did is I took some Cheerios, because y'all know I love Cheerios. And, and so it just seemed like a good idea, and I knew I could count out 100 of them and take a picture. And so I, I took a, a picture of 100 Cheerios, and I set a few to the side, 
And the question that I would like to ask you is, does that look generous to you? Now, obviously, I need you to take that and extend it beyond Cheerios. Maybe you can say that's dollar bills or $100 bills or maybe food, groceries that you take home to your house that you might share with someone else. But does, I want to ask you, does that look generous to you? And now we're going to switch to another picture. And there's a little more. And I want to ask you, does that look generous to you? And then I want to switch it to another picture. And I want to ask you, does that look generous to you? And then I want to switch it to another picture. Does that look generous? And then I want to switch it to this picture. Oh. What? What? What looked generous to you? And, and what I will find is this, that what I started with in the very first picture, you could go back and look at that at, at your own time. There was 100 Cheerios, and I set five Cheerios aside. And that looked fairly meager. And, and then even 10%, 10 of those Cheerios looked kind of meager. And I find that when most people, when I do this with most people, it's only at about 20, 30, and 40% do they start realizing that looks generous to me. And so here's what I did in my life. I did that same experiment. Brantley and I have had that very same conversation, and we say, what looks generous in terms of what God has given us? And, and where we are today was not where we started, I can tell you. Um, it, it is nowhere near where we started, but I'll tell you that when you set generosity as your goal, you won't have to worry about what percentage because you'll just know in your heart, this is what I, I want to give. This is what I want to share with the world. I'll say something that I shared with Brantley this week. I looked at some statistics, and statistically, how much do you think non-believers, those who do not know Christ, just answer me out. You can even post this online if you feel brave enough. What do you think is the percentage that unbelievers give toward charity every year? I'll give you a moment. I'll play the Jeopardy song. All right. You got that figure in your head? The, the number is 3%. Unbelievers give about 3% of their income to charity. Now, how much do you think Christians give? What percentage do you think Christians give of their income? I'll give you a moment and play some more Jeopardy music. Oh, no, there's heads nodding at the back going, don't do the Jeopardy. Okay, I won't do the Jeopardy music. The answer is 3%. Isn't that interesting that unbelievers give about 3% of their resources to charity and believers give three percent of their resources to charity and there's something inside of me i don't know about you but there's something inside of me that says we ought to lead the way when it comes to generosity and yet i believe we are caught up in the very same things that catch up the world materialism selfishness whatever it may be and here is what generosity does it, it stops this thing where before we know Christ, it's like all of the world is supposed to come toward us. It's like this big V, this 
vacuum and we try to pull in as much as we can to meet our needs and sustain us and then to cause us to be successful and to thrive. But what generosity does is it turns it when I see Jesus. And now I realize that the world is not just for me, but I'm part of something bigger. And I'm part of God's plan. And now I take what I have and I give it into this bigger plan so that the purposes of God can be fulfilled on the earth. And so it stops things from just coming to where I'm a taker and now I'm a giver. And now I'm moving into to God's plan. I'll keep going. Generosity is always motivated by love. If when you give, whatever it is you're giving, if it is not motivated by love, then you didn't do it right. Paul says in two verses that I'll draw your attention to, he said in verse 8, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the... Well, I'm in the wrong verse. It'd help if I'd get over there, wouldn't it? He says, so we urge that you complete this gracious work. And then he says over in verse 24, therefore openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love. So generosity is not about this thing that you give up. It's about people. Did you hear that? It's a Generosity is about people. It's about, it's about helping folks. And so last week, actually, so amazing because I, I know I'm going to preach this message this Sunday. But last Sunday, I'm at QT with Brantley. And there's this lady, and she's sitting down at the, the entry to the QT. And it's one of those situations where you know that person wants something. You know there's a problem. And, and there's a need, and they're looking for someone to fill it. And so there she is, right there by the door where everybody's coming in and out. And obviously, it's a bad time because with this COVID, everybody's got their mask on, and we're social distancing, and people are just walking by her and trying to act like she's not there. We've all done that, right? You've seen that person, and you're like, I don't want to help them. I, I'm too busy today, and you just want to ignore that thing and go on. And not every problem is yours, and not every needy person needs your money. That's not what I'm saying. But there was this woman who walked up to the door, but then looked at the girl and started a conversation. And, and I'm watching this thing from the car, and I'm close enough that I'm, I'm not being nosy. I'm just being inquisitive. I, not being nosy, but I, I happen to just roll the window down. Because, again, I'm not nosy. I'm just curious. And and this conversation ensues, and the look on the woman who walked up, to look at her eyes, I said, wow, you could see the love of God in her eyes. And, and she wasn't belittling the person. You ever seen that or, or found yourself doing it where you, you throw some money at somebody just to make the problem go away? It's like, will, will $5 get you out of my face? But this woman didn't have that look at all. She stopped and she carried on a conversation and she was asking questions. And this young girl needed a, a way to Georgia. And this lady said, honey, I'm not going to Georgia. Um, so I, I can't help you there. She said, but are you hungry? And, and she said, what, what would you like to eat? I'll get you anything in here that you want. 
And so the lady went inside and, and bought a pizza and bought a drink and brought it out and could have just stopped right there. But in the midst of this COVID, this woman grabbed this lady's hands and she said, can I pray for you? And she grabbed this young girl and she prayed. And I'm not being nosy. I'm just being curious. And so I'm looking. I'm not praying. I'm watching. And I see this girl look into this woman's eyes. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm seeing one of the most beautiful things I think I've seen through this whole virus. I'm seeing somebody not belittle someone in need, but honor them and, and, and show compassion. And when that young girl looked up at this woman, you could see she felt love. Now, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she got a ride to Georgia or not, but I know that she came in contact with generosity and love that day. And I can't help but believe that just like me, the Father in heaven is looking down when we show acts of generosity, and he goes, oh, that's beautiful. See, that's, that's love. And that wasn't done out of obligation. It was done out of genuine love. And I believe that's when the Lord says, well done. And then generosity is not concerned with what you don't have. I'm going to say that again. Generosity need not be concerned with what you don't have. How many times do we let what we don't have stop us from giving what we do have? That we think, I don't have money. Well, that's okay. You don't need money to be generous. Did you know that? Peter and John are going to the temple and they meet a man and he asks for money. And Peter and John look at the man and they say, sir, we don't have any money. <laughs> Just like that lady, ma'am, I can't take you to Georgia. But Peter and John said to this man, but what I do have, what I do have, I'll give to you. See, the disciples lived out of this place where freely they had received so freely they gave and they told this man, rise up and walk. They didn't have any money, but they healed the man that day because they had the Spirit of God living inside of them. So many people tell me, Kevin, I'd love to open my home and, and have a small group, but I just don't have a big house. Can I tell you, you don't need a big house. You don't have to have the, the nicest things. Some of the best homes I've ever been in were just places where people made me feel welcome. And it didn't matter how much money they had. And it didn't matter what kind of furniture or lack of furniture they had. It just mattered if I felt like I belonged there, if they wanted me there. <laughs> you see, I, I grew up with a grandmother who lived during the time of the Depression. And she had this big old long table in her dining room. And there were seats and not a single chair matched. <laughs> there wasn't two chairs alike. But, but there were chairs around that table. And I've heard stories of Men who are older than me today, they say, you know, your grandma, she took care of me. When my parents couldn't take care of me, your grandma took me in and she fed me and I stayed at her house. And I can remember people gathering up around that table and eating and grandma didn't have much. <laughs> uh, grandma didn't have much at all. But what my grandma had, she was more than willing to share. You see, my grandma could cook. And so it wasn't uncommon to have some vegetables that she grew out in the garden and that she canned and she would give to people. You see, you don't need to be concerned with what you don't have. Just look at what you do have and be willing to give it to people who are in need. That's why I believe Scripture says... 
that if you're faithful in little, you can be trusted with much. You see, if, if you won't help people with the dime that you have today, you probably won't help people with the million dollars in a dime that you have tomorrow. If, if you don't help people with that tiny little house that you have today, there's no reason to believe that you're going to invite somebody over to your nice big house. And so look at what you have, and then remember this, over in Luke. Wow, this one gets me. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? You hear what that's saying? Scripture is saying you want help people with a little bit of material stuff that you do have, and yet you want to pray that God's going to give you spiritual gifts, that God's going to give you spiritual power. God says, look, I can't even trust you with a little bit of stuff. How do you think I can trust you with a spiritual gift like prophecy? Or why would I give you the gift of raising people from the dead? Do you know how responsible you'd have to be to handle that gift? God says, I love you too much. You can't even handle your bank account. You, you can't even manage your checkbook. And you want me to bless you spiritually. You see, folks, we got to start where we are and be generous with what we have. And then God says, if I can trust you with a little, I can trust you with a lot more. If I can trust you with earthly things, I can trust you with spiritual things. So what I'm telling you is, child, get ready. Don't worry about what you don't have. And then generosity has to be a routine. It has to be regular. It has to be a part of your life. That's why over in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes this statement. He says, you guys ought to not wait and try to gather up a bunch all at one time. You ought to give it on a weekly basis, kind of regularly give this thing. And I believe the message is this. Generosity is not about the three times you did something really nice and the rest of your life that you live selfishly. Generosity is a lifestyle so that when people look at you, they see that you're generous. When they look at your life, they don't look and say, I've never seen them do a nice thing. All I've ever seen them do is take. I've never seen them give anything. You see, it's a lifestyle where it becomes a, a routine of, of what we do. In fact, Scripture talks about these first fruits. Hmm. I think we ought to give first fruits the, the, the best of everything from the beginning. Like when something good happens, I think you ought to be generous with your thanksgiving and praise. When something good happens, I think rather than run to your spouse or your best friend and tell them that you got a new job or that something good happened, I think you ought to get down on your knees and say, God, I just want to stop. And before I share this good news with anybody else, with my girlfriend or with my, my buddies, I just want to say to you, God, thank you. God, I want to give you the, the first fruits of my praise, the, the first fruits of my thanksgiving. And so it has to be this routine. And then maybe what is most critical of all, in chapter 9, verse 8 and verse 7, it says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. You see, it has to be done 
cheerfully. You have to take the Cheerios and find out how much you can give cheerfully. And if you can't give it cheerfully, I don't think you ought to give it. You're like, what, did he just say that? Did a pastor just say you shouldn't give something? Yeah, I do. If you can't give it cheerfully, I don't think you ought to give it. I don't think you ought to give under compulsion. That's what it says. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly. If you're doing it grudgingly just to get somebody out of your face, don't get it. Don't give it. Just turn and walk away. Don't do it under compulsion. Oh, everybody else is doing it. I guess I'm supposed to, too. No. You decide what is generous to you, and you live that out, and you live it cheerfully. Because here is something it continues to amaze me as I see really good givers. I, I learn things, and I watch good givers, and I want to learn from them. The gift is not a reflection of the need. Stay with me. The gift is not a reflection of the need. It is a reflection of the heart of the giver. If you look at any really generous person, what you are seeing in their gift is their heart. You're seeing their heart of generosity. That's why when the need is $5, they might give $20 or $100, and somebody would look at that and say, now, why did they do that? That person only needed $5. Well, it's because the need was 5 but the giver was greater. Oh, that's good. The, the giver was greater than the need. And so they didn't give just based on the need. They gave more than. You see, Jesus, he gives more than enough. He, he could have just saved me and said, Kevin, I'm not going to send you to hell. And that would have been plenty good enough, honestly. It would have been more than I deserved. But he didn't stop there. He said, nah, Kevin, not only am I going to save you from hell, but I'm going to develop a relationship with you so that when you call on me, I'm going to answer you. When you need something, I'm going to take care of you. Kevin, you don't understand. When I saved you out of hell, I didn't save you just for that. I saved you to be your daddy, to take care of you, to adopt you, because I don't want you being an orphan. So I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm not going to do the minimum requirement here. I'm going above and beyond because you need to see who I am. And get your attention off of the need. And so generosity has to be cheerful. And so I want you to begin to think. Because I know that in this time we have some folks because of this uh, pandemic that we are in that are not able to work. And times are going to get tough. We talked about it in our prayer time earlier this morning. And we were praying for people who might be losing their jobs or already lost their jobs and, and who maybe don't have food or they don't have a way to pay the power bill or they're rocking this thing along and it's just a matter of time before they can't pay, before they can't have water. And, and so we as Christians, whoo, oh, to those who have ears, let us hear. This is a time where more than ever, we ought to be drastically different than the world. So that if you got something that you can share, I think you ought to share it. If you have something that you can give and you can give it cheerfully, I think you ought to give it. And it's way more than money. If you thought all I was talking about is money, you missed it. 
You see, I'm talking about a lifestyle. So what I really want you to do is, in closing, I want you to help me think of how to have a lifestyle of generosity. So not just giving money, but right now, I want you to type in, wherever you're watching, I want you to type in something that you have that you can be generous with right now. And I want us to just start having a list of things popping up on Facebook that doesn't require a dime that would allow us to be generous. I want to give some Jeopardy music, but I'm scared my people will say no again. So I'm just going to have a long pregnant pause. You know, you can be generous, and I don't, I don't know what's popping up on Facebook, but I keep them coming, keep them coming. What can we be generous with as Christians that might help the world in this season of our life? You got a car, and there may be some older folks that can't go to the grocery store. And so you're willing to go to the grocery store for them. And because you've been blessed with transportation, you can use that as a generous offering to one of our seniors. You may have an oven, and you're a good cook. And there's some people that you know that have been at home all by themselves. And you know that they're lonely. And a way that you can cheer them up is to knock on the door and set a Tupperware container down by the door and say, hey, I just want to let you know that I... I love you, and that's for you. You can be generous with your time. Did you know that right now people probably dislike the abuse of time more than they like the wasting of their money? Have you noticed that? Don't waste my time. Don't waste my time. I don't have much time. And then amazingly, this virus happened. Now what do we have? We got time. You didn't have time before, but when the world stops, you got time. So maybe we reflect on how we've used our time to see if our time has been used wisely and been used generously. You got gifts and talents. I've watched some carpenters and some electricians work on the remodel and do it out of the goodness of their heart. Why? Because that was their gift. That was their talent, their, their expertise, and they gave it, and they did it in a way that honored God. You can, you can be generous with your attention. When you compliment someone, when you let them know that you see them, one of the most beautiful things is when that woman let that lady who was begging see, hey, I see that you're in the world, and I want you to know that you're valuable, and I want you to know that you're loved. Too many times we're stingy with our attention and with our emotions, and actually we will withhold those things in order to manipulate people. Oh, I'm going to hold back my affection. I'm going to hold back my attention until I make you do what I want you to do. And we manipulate people. But what if we were a generous people with our compliments, a generous people with our affection, a generous people with our emotions? Do you know that you can give people an opportunity? Some folks are going to need a job, and you could give them an opportunity. Some people are going to need a second chance. Anybody never needed a second chance? Yeah. Did you know you can be generous by giving somebody a second chance? No, nobody else would. Nobody else would trust them, but you did. And you set their life back in order because you were generous with second chances. Generous with a, a start. Some young kid who has great dreams and 
uh, doesn't really know how to, to get started in the world. Uh, a, a young kid from a, a minority group, a poverty group, who maybe doesn't have the same kind of things that everybody else has, same kind of chances, that you could reach into that environment and say, hey, you know what, I got resources, and I know that you're a little short on them, so I'm going to use my resources to leverage your life so that you can become something that you may not have ever had a chance to be. Oh, that's good. Oh. That we would give people a start. That you'd give people the gospel. Because without the gospel, you truly are bankrupt. If you don't have Jesus, you truly don't have anything. If you don't know the good news of how he died for you, how he rose again on the third day, how he gave us life, how he defeated death, sin, and Satan, then one of the most generous things you could ever do for somebody is give them the gospel and let them know about Jesus. So church and anyone listening, I want to pray this prayer and then I'm turning it over to Pastor D. Lord Jesus, whoever is watching and listening, I pray that inside of us that you stir up this heart of generosity, that it is not about obligation or compulsion, that Lord, we way above that. That now we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're doing this thing called generosity because we want to. Because we've seen it in you. Because you set the example, Lord Jesus. And we're just following your lead. And that we're finishing the things that we start. And we're not worried about the things that we don't have. We're looking at the things that you've given us. And we're seeing how we might advance the kingdom. We're not takers anymore, but we're givers. We move beyond needing everybody to do stuff for us. That we're in that situation where maybe in the past we've needed something or maybe in the future we'll need something again. But if we got it, we're willing to share it so that maybe nobody would go without. Father, I believe that we're in a season where we can't pass any laws to fix the situations that we're in. It's going to require the people of God the sons and daughters of God, to rise up in generosity and tackle the situations that exist in our world. So, Father, I say let the sons and daughters rise up. Let the generous rise up. And let us give of ourselves first to you. And then, Lord, let us be generous. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.